0: Greetings everybody, my name's Adam Draycott and you are watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. For the 18th of April, the second Sunday after Easter, uh, our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth, sing to the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise. We're going to listen to some music and after that we'll turn to the ministry of God's Word. Come to the ministry of God's Word. Our preaching passage today is from Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 35 through to verse 49. Uh, Please take a moment to read that out loud. If you're watching this as a family, read it together. Uh, If you're on your own, wherever you are, whoever you are with, uh, read your Bible, Luke chapter 24 beginning at verse 35 to verse 49. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can share your word together. Uh, We thank you that you bring us together this way, that we can fellowship um, around your word, that you are here with us as we gather. Uh, Father, we pray that through your word you speak to our hearts and minds show us the glory and wonder that is your son Jesus lead us in the way of repentance and faith that you might be glorified and uh, the name of Jesus proclaimed throughout all of the world we ask this prayer in the strong name of Jesus our our King and Saviour Amen. The present, the past and the future. They're our three headings For today, let me say them again, the present, the past, and the future. Uh, Each of those headings speaks to the wonder of Easter and the wonder of Christ's resurrection. Um, But as we come, as we approach verse 35, we need to look at the context, don't we? Uh, There are a few things that have happened. Verse 11, the the women's news of Jesus' resurrection is met with disbelief. Verse 12, we see Peter. He's on the scene and he is scratching his head. He's bewildered. And then we get this story of two travelers on the Emmaus road. They've seen Jesus. They broke bread with him and they've sought and found the 11 disciples. And now they're telling the disciples about this momentous event. So many questions. Uh, It's all they talk about. I bet it is. Uh, But there's really only one answer to the question, and it's very simple. He is risen. That's it. And it's while the disciples and others are talking about uh, these events and trying to discern what's fake news and what isn't it, Yeah, you imagine the questions that they're asking? Uh, We get to verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Well, you know what that this is now. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. I love this scene. I read this and go, you know, if it was me, I would have gone boo. (laughs) But not Jesus. Jesus, he knows people's minds. He knows people's needs. And what does he say? He says, peace be with you. Jesus comes to bring peace. Uh, Verse 37, and the words are appropriate. Verse 37, because they're startled and frightened. They think they've seen a ghost. I bet they did. And he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. It's me. It's all of me. It is I myself. That's emphatic, isn't it? Uh, do you have anything to eat? If you're a parent of a teenage boy, you'll have heard those words every day. Isn't it lovely that Jesus echoes those words? Do you got, Have you got anything to eat? It's a very normal, regular question. It recalls to me a time at Bible College, our New Testament lecturer, Alan Mugridge, uh was asked in class about the new creation and being with Jesus for eternity. There was a question, something like that. Um, and it begs our question, you know, what do you think? How do you imagine eternity with Jesus? There's a question for Bible study or your small group this week. How do you imagine eternity with Jesus? What pictures come to mind? And Alan Mugridge, his answer was very simple. He kind of looked over his glasses like he did does. And he said, maybe we'll be eating fish with Jesus. And I remember sitting there, just being shocked. Eating fish with Jesus, G- you're talking eternity? Eating fish with Jesus, are you re- what? What? I was waiting for something profound and deep, uh, maybe incomprehensible, maybe abstract, something hard to grasp, because we're talking about eternity here. And Alan Muggridge's answer was fish, eating fish, with Jesus. How does that grab you? How does that grab you? If, if you're someone like Tony Blake, you'd probably be very excited about that prospect. But have a think about this very carefully. When we think about salvation and being redeemed and being made new, when you think about the new creation, and being with Jesus forever, eating fish with Jesus, the risen Jesus, is the preview here. This is super important because it's not a purely spiritual resurrection as many liberal theologians would have us believe and liberal clergy of the broader Anglican Church uh, would have us believe. Uh, Jesus does not come back as a ghost. This is not merely a spiritual resurrection. To say it's merely spiritual betrays an inability to read the text and to understand what the text says. It's the impossible application here. Make no bones about it. So let's do the classic basic thing of reading the text again. What does verse 39 say? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself, it is me. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he said, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence, as you do. This is a picture of a physical, spiritual, emotional, fully human, fully embodied, the whole box and dice resurrection. Like do this. It's that, that kind of resurrection, fully embodied, make no bones about it. The liberals are wrong. You can read your Bible. You know what it says. Take the plain meaning every time. Now, the Centre of Public Christianity do excellent work. They're great guys. And they commissioned a survey from McCrendle, and maybe you um, read about this. Uh, The independent research shows most people are open to spiritual possibilities like miracles and the afterlife. You go, well, that's good news because when we do our thinking, when Christians do our thinking, we're thinking. uh, The trajectory of our thinking is spiritual, isn't it? Predominantly, we're spiritual people. We uh, put a spiritual label on everything we do. We're spiritual workers. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter one, Uh, that's our trump card. We appeal to people's sense of spirituality And again, so much of ministry is given a spiritual label. And here, think about it again, is Jesus eating fish with his mates, doing the physical thing. The resurrection is a physical one. And it's a spiritual one. Make no bones about that. But it's a physical one as well. It's an embodied one. And again, can I explain the word embodied? It means the whole person, physical, spiritual, emotionally. The resurrection of Jesus is an embodied resurrection, which means ours will be too. That's the implication. So have a think about that beautiful scene uh, the Apostle John describes in Revelation chapter 21. We know it, don't we? Where he talks about... um, Our tears being wiped away and there'll be no more crying and no more pain. Uh, None of that means anything if we're just ghosts, does it? What do tears mean if we're just ghosts? What does pain mean if we're just ghosts? Does it mean anything? Or no more death, it says in Revelation 21. No more death doesn't really mean a whole lot if we're just turning into Casper. Does it? No, see the promise again. I'm going to harp on this. I want you to hear it. The resurrection is a real embodied physical spiritual immortality. It means that when we're witnessing to our friends, we can talk about the hope we have as Christians. But instead of being abstract about heaven, we can actually put flesh and bones, quite literally, on the topic. See, it works like this. When I was in Baraba, here's an example. Uh, I did ministry in Baraba, five years, wonderful time. Lovely people, great community. And the nursing home would ask me to come in and do a memorial service for all the shut-ins in the nursing home that can't get to the funeral services of their loved ones. And that's a common thing. Uh, they have a memorial service for... for for all who died over the past few months. And our local doctor would turn up, and his name was Deepal, and we love Deepal. And he was part of the, um, the congregation at, 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 in Baraba at St. Lawrence's. Now, can you imagine? Can you picture nursing home residents there in the twilight, right? And there's Adam preaching and telling them about the new creation? And physical bodies being redeemed and being made new and being made immortal. Can you imagine that? And then I would turn to Dr. D. Powell. And I would say, hey, D. Powell, what are you going to be doing in eternity? Mate, are you going to be redundant in eternity? What are we going to need doctors for, mate? And every time, ah. People would burst out with joy and laughter and delight at that prospect. And it's okay, so did the doctor. So did the doctor. And maybe if Deepal had his time again, maybe a good comeback at me would be, you know, Adam, I'll be fine. I'll be eating fish with Jesus. (laughs) Wouldn't that be something? See, the joy of Easter is many things. Peace with God. Turn aside forgiveness all those things we talk about but in our witness do not be afraid to ask your friends what they think about heaven well they think about the new creation hey what do you think the new creation is going to be like ask them you know if if, if I was to have a conversation with people I'd be saying oh well my teeth won't be my mouth won't be f- full of fillings uh, that'd be nice I'll have I'll have a bit more hair in heaven, maybe that'd be good, wouldn't it? I know my mum would be happy about that. Uh, my spine, my spine, my spine won't be dodgy. Uh, I won't need spectacles in heaven. I'm I'm thinking that'd be good. So if you're an optometrist and eh, redundant, you beauty, uh, it's all good. And we'll get to eat fish with Jesus. Grab the picture, the tactile picture. We'll eat fish with Jesus. Here's another implication with all this talk about the physical, doesn't this also mean therefore that what we do with our bodies in the here and now matters. If we're spiritual people, you can't detach the physical aspect of who we are as embodied people. And so the apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 20, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Huge implications. We could follow that thought thread for a long time. We could finish there. But hear the point. You can't separate the physical and the spiritual. We're embodied people. And we see that in Jesus who is present here in this text. That's the present. What about, I know there are two more to go, but bear with me. What about the past? Well, have a look at verse 44. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. If you want to understand Jesus you need to get your head around the Old Testament. Otherwise, you're missing out. You need to look into the past. You need to look at history and see what is promised there and see it fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, This is an important part of my own personal testimony. Uh, I grew up going to church at All Saints Tregear. I heard all the Sunday school stories. And one day, I'm about 18, 19, and the minister sits me down, and or uh, in his study, and he holds up a tennis ball. Tennis ball, and he says, Adam, the name on this tennis ball is Adam. <laughs> Not you, the other one. Oh, the other one, okay. And then he throws it at me, and I catch the tennis ball. And he says, Adam, tell me the story about Adam. So I have a crack. And he throws another tennis ball. This time it's Noah. Catch the ball, tell him a little bit about Noah or what I know about Noah or new Abraham, who's next? Moses, David, Daniel, he keeps going and on and on it goes. Story after story and I have a crack. And eventually he stops. And then, He's showing me something different. Football. He says, Adam, you know about these stories? If you could put one name on all of these stories, all those tennis balls, and to make it one big story, whose name would be on this football? He shows me the football. He says, Adam, one name. One name that connects and joins them all together. And you know that sinking feeling when you're asked a question and you don't know the answer. And i will like, oh, 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 oh. crack a funny student. Is that the name? Uh, no, I rattled off all those answers, but I didn't know the answer to this question. And Al says, that's the minister. He says, Adam, you know, You know something about all these stories from Sunday school and youth group. But there's something you don't know. They're all about Jesus. The name of Jesus, it's his name. The name of Jesus is on all of these stories. It's all about him. Do you know that? Now I still remember walking home from the rectory at Tregear and I still remember my mind being busy with the words it's true. This is all about Jesus. And it was a real light bulb moment for me. It's part of my story. And at that point it all became very real and because it became very real there's a kick. You know like When a horse kicks, yeah, the horse kicked me big time. And here was the kick. Because Jesus is real, because this is true, it's not fake news, it's true. Because of that first Easter morning and everything that's written here that we're sharing this morning, it meant that my sin is real and and my need for forgiveness is real. So we're all shaped by history. And no less true than that of Jesus' history. His history shapes mine. He's either fake news or the real deal and he demands a response. And so we see here is Jesus, a present reality in the text, eating fish with his mates. Here is Jesus pointing us back to past promises. And here's the last thing now Jesus talks about the future. Verse 46 He told them this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things I'm going to send you what my father has promised to stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high Notice a few things about the future because Jesus is written, uh, because Jesus is risen, repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be preached in His name to all nations. Now just let me check again, what is to be preached? That's a question. What is to be preached? Call it out if you're at home. What's the first word? Repentance. That's right. Repentance is to be preached. Call, repentance is to call people to a changed life. A trajectory of life that lives for God, not for self. To get off the my way highway and to get on the, the path that Jesus calls us to follow. Now how's that going to go when we preach repentance? <laughs> oh my goodness. Do you know how easy it is to offend people's sensibilities? To You know, the simple act of saying, hey, you need to turn around. Who wants to do that? Who wants to hear that? Simply raising a question about the spiritual well-being of someone, of someone you love even. It can be fraught, even for a pastor, especially for a pastor. You can be met with questions like, how dare you? How dare you ask me about my spiritual well-being? It's true. It's like lighting a wick on a powder keg. Really? Really? Well, this is what the gospel can do. The gospel rebukes human pride, calls us to turn around, tells you you need forgiveness, calls us to turn away from our selfish gain and ambition, to turn away from our self-righteous indignation. The gospel says you're wrong, get right with God, simple. But even so-called Christians don't want to come at that, they get offended. And so you've got to wonder about their spiritual well-being even more than you did in the first place. The invitation of the gospel is to acknowledge that you're wrong, that you're a sinner, that you need forgiveness, and that you can find that at the feet of the cross. The encouragement, the invitation is to fall at the feet of the cross and seek forgiveness from God that comes through Christ and his death on the cross. And so here is the command of Jesus in the name of Christ. Preach repentance and forgiveness. That is right. And for the Christian, for anybody who actually gets grace, being washed and cleansed of our obstinate pride is the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever. Oh, sweet relief. And so we preach it. We preach it. Now, who do we preach it to? What does the text say? we start at Jerusalem, you go to all nations. There it is. There is an imperative for mission. And so here at St. Augustine's, when we talk about CMS or open doors, we're thinking of mission globally. It's deliberate and intentional. It's why we have a link partnership uh, with uh, missionaries in Uganda, with the Newmans. It's important for us. They go as part of who we are there Church family members, they go as family members to Uganda. They, they, they do it all together with us, on behalf of us. And so the St. Augustine's Anglican Church can say, we have a mission in Uganda. And so we love the Newmans and we care for the Newmans and we support them and we pray for them in this work. That's true of another family serving in Cambodia, When we support global mission through giving of prayers, through the giving of money or giving of communication, we're taking Jesus's command literally seriously. And it's good for us because our mission over there reminds us that we have a mission here too. That people in our own communities need Jesus. They need the gospel. Research, has reminded us today that there is still some openness to spiritual things. So there's still opportunity. And as we think about mission and our witness, these verses remind us that we are not alone. The spirit at Pentecost sent to the apostles in Jerusalem, the first witnesses of Christ's church, that same spirit that blessed them is the same spirit that works in us. And through us as we be a witness to Christ, which means that we're never alone. The Christ, the embodied Christ who is present here, the Christ who is promised from the past is the same Christ who by the Holy Spirit is with us today. He lives in us and through us. He lives in our hearts. He goes with us into our future. And so if we understand our human existence as an embodied one, the Christian rejoices at the prospect of having Christ live in us and through us. And it's all because of that first Easter. And so we praise him and we bear witness to him. We have good news to share. We preach repentance and forgiveness and we do it in Christ's name. We do it to all nations. Even here in Inverell, or wherever it is that you might be at this present time. And we do it with confidence and great assurance Christ is with us. We are not alone. Amen.